Well, uh, how many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I've always wanted to say this, so I'm going to say it tonight. Open your Bible wherever you want to. No, seriously. Just open your Bible wherever you want to tonight and uh, hold it open there for just a minute. And uh, we'll probably be somewhere by there in a little while if you'll just open your Bible and uh, lay it there in your lap for just a minute. And we're making our way through some of the great words of the Bible. And so if you'll join me with that, uh, I want to, uh, again, just maybe bring some words out of the Bible and hope that the Lord will use them uh, to speak to our hearts tonight. Uh, again, uh, along with Brother Zach, I just want to encourage you to pray for the service Sunday and let Let's ask the Lord to help us. You know, really, the victory of every service is really won before the service starts, won or lost before the service starts. And uh, so I want to encourage you to make it a matter to pray for the service this Sunday. Pray for your teacher. Boy, your teacher needs your prayers. And I for sure know that your preacher needs your prayers. And uh, so please pray. Pray for the music, the singing, that God will just get glory. If we'll pray for that and pray that Jesus will be exalted, man, it don't matter what happens, it's going to be good. And uh, so if we can just lift Jesus up and exalt Him, and I hope you'll pray about that before you come to church Sunday. Don't wait till you get here to pray. Pray before you get here, and let's pray God will meet with us and just bless us this coming Lord's Day. All right? If you do that, I really, really would appreciate that. Well, let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. So glad we got a Bible. Thank you for the precious Word of God. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, the gift uh, the unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Lord, thank You for the gift of the Bible that teaches us about You. Lord, we look in the Bible and we learn about You. We learn Your plan for our lives. God, thank You for our Bibles. And I pray as we again move through some of the great words of the Bible that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to seal truths to our hearts as we live out these last days upon this earth. Help us to be successful and victorious in our daily lives. And God, may we help others to come to know you as their Savior. Help us, I pray. Bless the service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for several, I say weeks, several months, I guess, probably three years now, we've been working our way through some of the great words of our Bible. I've called this series of messages Bible Words that every child of God should know. And of course, from the title, it just means what it says. We've been looking at different words. You know, some of the, one of the best ways to study the Bible is to study some of the great words of the Bible. You know, I got to thinking about this. You ever thought about the word behold? I mean, just a little simple word in our Bible, but yet some of the great truths of our Bible are presented just around that little word behold. I think about what David said in Psalms 51 when he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Boy, that means we're all lost, you know. And then I think about that verse where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If that be true, and it is, that means we can all be saved. And then there's another great behold. Behold, Paul said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. That gives me hope to know someday soon the Lord's coming. And I'm going to be changed when he comes. And all those great truths surrounded in our Bible. So one of the greatest ways to study the Bible is just pick out some words and follow it through the Bible. And so we've been trying to do that in recent services. Just follow words of the Bible. You know, somebody once said when it comes to the Bible, we ought to know it in our heart in our heads and stow it in our hearts and show it in our lives and sow it in the world. So it's important for us as God's people to have a work
working knowledge of the Bible. So what we've been doing, we've been using our English alphabet, beginning with the letter A, and just going through some of the great words of our Bible that begin with the letter A. And tonight, we're all the way down through the 18th letter in our alphabet, the 18th letter. Now, last time, which would have been two weeks ago because of the baccalaureate service, we were on the letter Q. And boy, if you missed that, you missed a, uh, you missed a service because I tell you what, uh, you know, the word Q, there ain't a whole lot of words in our Bible that begin with the letter Q. But we found enough to make a message. The word quench, that's a good Bible word, quench not the Spirit of God, uh, the Bible said. Then we looked at the word quick, you know, uh, the word quick. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. And then we thought about the word quit. Quit ye like men, the Bible said. And then we looked at the word quiet, and that you study to be quiet. Well, tonight we come to the 18th letter, or the letter R. Now, unlike last time when we looked for the letter Q, and we found no books in our Bible that begin with the letter Q, as we look in the Bible to find some of the books of the Bible that begin with the letter R, we do have three books in the Bible that the, the names of the books start with the letter R. One in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is only one, one of only two books in our Bible that, 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 that's named after a woman. I'm talking about the book of Ruth. We know that's a good book in our Bible. The, the story of Ruth is about a Gentile woman who married a Jewish man. The other book in our Bible that's about a woman or has a woman's name, the book of Esther, is about a Jewish woman who married a Gentile man. So we have the book of Ruth in our Old Testament, our, book, our books. Then over the New Testament, we have the book of Romans. What a great book the book of Romans is. I had a preacher. I listened to this preacher a lot. I heard him say one time, Adrian Rogers said this, if he had to be shipwrecked on a desert island and could have only one book of the Bible, he would choose the book of Romans. What a great book the book of Romans is. And then we have one final book in our Bible that begins with the letter R, and that's the book of the Revelation. The book that John received, the vision that John received while exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And then we have some great people in our Bible whose name begins with the letter R. Once again, I told you that there are 3,237 different people that are named in our Bible. And really, to my surprise, I got to thinking about this, you know, really there's not a really a whole lot of prominent people in our Bible that, whose name begins with the letter R, but we do have some. For, for instance, we have a, an old boy in the Old Testament by the name of Reuben. Reuben. He was the son, one of the first, uh, in fact, the firstborn son of, of Israel. And he was the one who forfeited his birthright. You know, those firstborn sons, uh, they, had, they had the joy, the privilege of having the birthright. They, they, would, uh, uh, they got du the double portion of what all the other children of the family got. And when the daddy was away, you know, they had the privilege of being the one to be the priest for the family. And yet Reuben threw all that away because he went to bed with one of his daddy's wives. You think love of your life is bad. I'm telling you. That family of Jacob has some real problems. They wrote the book on dysfunctional families. That's right. Reuben in our Bible. And then we have an old boy in our Bible by the name of Rehoboam. He was the fourth king of the nation of Israel, the son of Solomon, the grandson of King David. He was the fourth king, and remember, under his, his leadership, under his reign, the nation split, the nation divided. Because he was a man who listened to the wrong advice. 
Remember the story how that he sought counsel from the old men? And then he sought counsel from the young men? And then he forsook the counsel of the older men, followed the advice, the counsel of the younger men? And the nation split right after that under the reign of Rehoboam. And then there's an old boy in our Old Testament by the name of Rabshakeh. You say, Rab who? That's right, Rab Shaka. He was a military leader uh, for the Assyrian Empire who made great threats against the God of heaven, and God killed that old boy along with 185,000 in his army. Rab Shaka. And then there's, a, there's one boy, I'll mention this and we'll move off of this in the Old Testament, but there's one old boy in the Old Testament, and his name is Rechib. Rechib. Now, you probably didn't come to church tonight hoping that I'd mention Richard. And I doubt you went to sleep last night thinking about it. But let me tell you something. This is a great story in our Old Testament. Richard was the father of the Richabites. Boy, you know a lot more about him now than you knew, don't you? He was the father of the Richabites. But let me tell you something. What's so unusual about his life is when he was just a boy, his daddy commanded him and all of his brothers to never drink wine or alcohol. Boy, that's a good command for any dad to give his children. And by the way, don't you command them not to drink and you got Bud Dummer sitting in your refrigerator. Low down you. No, sir. But he commanded his boys, don't ever drink. Well, Jeremiah, the prophet, was commanded by God to go get them boys. They were nomads. They lived in tents all of their life. And God commanded Jeremiah, said, go get them Richabites, bring them over here to the house of God and set a pot of wine before them and tell them to drink. Now that's unusual, ain't it? Hey, preacher, go get a pot of liquor and set it down and command everybody in the church to drink. We probably got some people that would follow the preacher's advice in a case like that. So he set those pots of wine before Rechab and, and his brothers and set it there before them. And they looked at the, the prophet Jeremiah and said, no, sir. Said, long time ago, our daddy commanded us not to drink wine. And to this day, we've never done that. And Jeremiah, we love you and thank God for your ministry. But I'm telling you, we ain't about to do that. Amen. They followed their father's advice. And God, because of that, look at these verses that God said to them. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Richabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jehonadab, your father and kept all of his precepts, and done according to all that he had commanded you. Therefore thus saith the Lord a host of the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Richard, shall never want a man to stand before me forever. God said, I'm going to bless you because you listened and you honored your father. Boy, I want to tell you, what you ought to read that. It's Je Jeremiah 35. It is a great chapter. Well, Reach him. And then we move into the New Testament, and to my surprise, there is only one man in the New Testament whose name begins with the letter R. And of all names, his name was Rufus. Rufus. The only man in the New Testament whose name begins with the letter R. Now let me tell you who Rufus was. Rufus was the son of Simeon of Cyrene. Remember Simeon, oh Simon, I'm sorry, Simon was the one who helped Jesus carry his cross. Well, Simon had two boys, Alexander and Rufus. 
We have every reason to believe that after Simon did that, he went back home to Africa, to Cyrene, and he told his family what had happened and probably, no doubt, led his whole family to Jesus. And years later, after his death, their mama and Rufus moved to Rome and become members of the Church of Rome. Rufus is his name. And here's what Paul said about him in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. He said, salute Rufus in the Lord. That'd be our way of saying, hey, tell Rufus, I said, hello. And then he said, also tell his mama. And then Paul said this, and mine. You know what Paul's saying? That woman, the woman of Rufus, the, the mother of Rufus, she just makes me feel so loved. She's just like my mama. Be sure to tell Rufus and his mama I said hello. And be sure to tell her that I think of her as my mama. Isn't that amazing? Rufus. And then we have some great women in our Bible whose name begins with the letter R as well. I'm talking about great women. For instance, there's a lady in our Old Testament by the name of Rebecca. You remember the story of Rebecca, how she met Isaac? Remember that story? And it was love at first sight. Oh, my goodness. She lived far off, and the servant went, and uh, Abraham was looking for a bride for his son. Remember that, Genesis 24? Finally, she gets all the way back over there, and, and uh, the Bible said that she, uh, uh, she is introduced to Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah are married. Do you remember that story? What a great story Isaac and Rebekah are. And then, of course, they have two boys, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob's favorite wife was not Leah. It was Rachel, another great lady in our Bible. Rebecca and Rachel. Then we got a lady in our Bible by the name of Rahab. How many of y'all remember Rahab? Rahab the what? But we have every reason to believe old Rahab got saved. In fact, she's mentioned over in Hebrews chapter 11 in the, in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Rahab the harlot. And then there's another one, Ruth. I talked about Ruth. And then what about this lady, Rizpah? Remember her? She was a concubine. I mean, just a fill-in for King Saul. I mean, Saul's wife, and then he had some concubines and porcupines scattered around. And, and one of his concubines was Rizpah. And you may remember after David became king, uh, some of the Gibeonites said, we want the eyes and we want all them boys to be put to death. And her sons were put to death. And uh, one of them's name was Moroni or something, and Mephibosheth was the other one's name. And they put them to death. And, and the vultures started coming down trying to land on them and and to pick the, the, the flesh off their carcasses, and Rizpah stood out there and wouldn't let the birds light on. Remember that story, Rizpah? The love of a mother is like no other. What a great lady Rizpah was. And then to my surprise, in the New Testament, we have a little girl in the New Testament whose name was Rhoda. Now, Rhoda was at the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was thrown in jail and they had a prayer meeting down at John Mark's mama's house. And remember, God sent an angel, let Peter out, and he went down to the, that church, the house where the prayer meeting was going on, knocked on the door, and a young lady by the name of Rhoda come to the door. And they're afraid. The doors are locked. She said, who is it? And he said, it's Peter. And in the Greek language, here's what it says. Nuh-uh said, we're having prayer meeting for Peter. He's shut up in prison. They already killed Pastor James, and they're going to kill Peter tomorrow. It can't be Peter. He's in jail. And Peter kept knocking. Finally, she opened the door, and there he stood. She went in there and told one of the deacons, said, hey, God's answered our prayer. Peter stand at the door. Oh, they said, no, he ain't. You've just seen his ghost. Isn't it a sight that God answers our prayers when we don't even believe he will? 
that amazing? Great people. A couple of great places in our Bible. What about the Red Sea? We all are familiar with the story of the Red Sea. And then how could you talk about our places without mentioning the cities of refuge? Great, great places in our Bible. So words. You know, again, I found out most of the uh, words in our Bible that start with the letter R, either the names of places or people. But never fear. I found enough words to make a message. Let's get started. Here's a great Bible word that begins with the letter R. What about that word right there? Remnant. The word remnant. Now, when we think about the word remnant, we don't use that word much in our day uh, uh, like, like Bible terminology. Here, here's the way we define remnant. Webster's Dictionary says a remnant is an unsold or unused end of peace goods. Another dictionary defined it as this. A remnant is a fragment, a, a fragment or a scrap. Another one said this. A remnant is a piece of fabric remaining after the rest has been used or sold. That's the way we define in our culture today. That's what a remnant is. Maybe you want to put some new carpet in your house, but you don't want to play, pay full price, full, full price for it. So the man says, well, I got a piece left over from another house. It's a remnant, and if you'd like to buy it, I think there's enough there to carpet your house. I'll sell you this remnant at a reduced price. It's an unused or an un, uh, unsold piece of garment or cloth. That's what a remnant is. But that's not what the word in the Bible means. It's used 91 times throughout the Bible, and more often than not, it's found in the Old Testament. The word remnant's only found six times in the New Testament, but in the Bible, what a remnant is, it means a residue, or it means a remaining. The New Testament word remnant simply means this, the remaining ones. And in the Bible, when you come across the word remnant, it means the remaining ones that still love God, that want to honor God, honor His Word, and they actually are grieved over the condition and the direction that the majority is going in. Now, in our day, we got a majority. In, in America, we got a majority. And by the way, I'd like to think it's closer than they lead us to believe. Don't you? Wouldn't you like to think that there's more that there's more for God than there are against God in America. I'd like to think that. But I tell you, you listen to the news, man, there ain't no hope. Everybody in our world's homosexual when really only 3% of the population are like that. They, but they'd have us to believe, man, we are in the minority. But let me tell you really what we are. We're a remnant. We're a people that still wants to honor God. We're a people that still loves the Word of God. We're a people that believe we'd be better off listening to what God has to say. We're a people that believe and are grieved over the condition of our world. And though we may not be in the majority, we're a people that wants things to go back like they used to be. That's a remnant. That's a remnant. Ladies and gentlemen, that can be true of a nation, and that can be true of a church as well. You know, I believe there's a remnant sitting in, in churches across America. You know, we were talking a moment ago about the Methodist church. Me and Kyle was coming to church, and we were talking about the Methodist church. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, and bless your heart if you get mad at me. Come up after church, and if you apologize, I forgive you. But I bless your heart, I wouldn't walk across the street to go to a Methodist church today. 
I bless you. I tell you, bless your heart. If if all that there was that I could go to as a Methodist church, I'd start a church and make it an independent, fundamental, premillennial, fried chicken loving, watermelon seed spitting Baptist church. But can I tell you something? I believe with all my heart, there's probably a remnant in the Methodist church that sighs over the condition and the direction of the Methodist church. There's a lot of, you know, used to when you'd go to a church, if it had independent Baptist on the sign, you pretty much knew what you was going to get when you got there. But can I tell you something? That don't mean nothing no more. I mean, you get the contemporary blaring music. You get the, uh, you know, the dress down. You get the funky Bibles. I mean, to be independent Baptist don't mean what it used to be. I know, I know. They say, oh, we're independent Baptists. I get it. I'm going to tell you something. You know what they do? They use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. Can I have an amen? They use our vocabulary. Oh, yeah, this is what we are. But when you walk in there, it ain't what it says it is. They use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. But I tell you, there's a remnant. There's a crowd still sitting around that remembers how it used to be. There's a crowd in every church that still wants God to be real. There's a crowd in every church that still loves God and wants to honor the Bible and wants to hear it straight. And they're not about to cave in. And they grieve over what's going on in their church. That's a remnant. That's true of our nation tonight. I, I don't know about you. I, I do know about you. I think we're on the same wavelength about this. But I tell you what, I'm grieved over the direction of our nation. I'm heartbroken. Uh, over the direction of our nation. I, I'm so grieved about it, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. All I know to do is just say, hey, pray, let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our leaders in America. It just seems like from day, man, we ain't even hardly six months into this reign yet. Reign, uh, what do we call it? Presidency. We're not even six months into this and the wheels has already run off. I'm grieved about that. I want it to go back to being like it used to be. I want our nation to be a nation that still honors God. Hey, I want our nation to be a nation that still says there's some things that are just wrong. I want our nation to go back to being like it used to be in the America that I was brought up in. That culture, that, 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 that character, that kind of a nation. There's a remnant still alive that still wants to honor God and His Word to be obeyed. And can I tell you two things about the remnant? Number one, God's going to protect His remnant. Let me show you a verse. In Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4. Now, I'm just going to read a verse here, but let me tell you what's said here in, in chapter 9. God's getting ready to pour out His judgment on Jerusalem. But right before He does, I mean, Jerusalem has turned away from God and God's fed up with it. And God's getting ready to pour out His wrath. But look what He said. And the Lord said unto him, unto Ezekiel, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark. I'm glad I've been marked. Set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. God said uh, when the judgment begins, that crowd that's been marked, I'm going to pull them out. I'm going to make a distinction between that crowd that's worshiping the false gods and that crowd that still loves me. God said, I'm going to make a distinction. Put a mark upon Well, I'm glad my soul's been marked through the shed blood of Jesus. I got a mark, not the mark of the beast, praise God, but the mark of the Savior. God's going to protect that remnant. And then watch this. That remnant is what's keeping back the judgment of God. I believe with all my heart, the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God 
And the remnant in America is holding back the judgment of God. Look at this verse right here, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small... You say, how big was it? Just small. You mean how small? Very small. Compared to the rest of the people in the nation of Israel, it was just a little small remnant. But God said this, had it not been for that remnant, look at this, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. You know what God was saying? I would have overthrown this place already and burned it to the ground had it not been for the remnant. I know they don't like us. <laughs> I know they want to silence us. I know they're looking at us and saying, you're the problem in America. But I want to tell you something, they better thank God for us. Because if we wasn't here, oh, my soul, the remnant can even hold back the judgment of God. It was just one man in Sodom that kept God from destroying it before he did destroy it. Lot, he had to get out before God rained down judgment, fire, brimstone upon Sodom. God's going to look after his people. Remnant. Boy, that's a good Bible word, isn't it? The word remnant. There's a second good Bible word that begins with the letter R. How could we talk about R words without mentioning religion? Religion. You say, what in the world is religion? Well, Webster's Dictionary, and I don't, I don't, I don't know about all this, but here's what he said. He, he said a religion is a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with passion and faith. All right? That don't tell me a whole lot. Another definition of religion is this. The belief in and the worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Another one said this, a specific set of beliefs and practices generally agreed upon by a number, number of persons or sects. Sext. The best definition I can give you of religion is this. Religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. Religion. You know, really, when you think about the word religion, you know, it's, it really would surprise you to know that the Bible really has very little to say about the subject of religion. You know, most of the time we think about the Bible, we think about, oh, it's a religious book. We think about the, uh, God. We think, oh, he's a religious God. But you know something? Really, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. You know, the word religion or one, some form of it is found exactly seven times in the Bible. And listen to this. Six of those seven times is used in a negative way. Like, oh, my goodness, this is not right. It's used with a negative connotation. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look up on the screens, if you will. Here is a negative word, a negative uh, reference to religion. If any man among you seem to be, and then there's the word religious. Notice he seems to be religious. And says this, and bridleth not his tongue, and deceiveth his own heart. This man, and then here it is, religion is in vain. You know what he's telling us there? There is religion out there that really lacks reality. He seems to be religious. And the Bible said, this man's religion is in vain. You know, God really don't think a whole lot about religion. God, everything he says about it almost is just negative. He said it's lacking in reality. Did you notice that? He said if any man seemed to be religious and bridled not tongue. You know what? We, we test religion by tithe and testimony. We say, that's the way to determine a person's religion, by their tithe and by their testimony. James said, no, 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 no. It's not your tithe or your testimony. It's your tongue. 
that really tells us what kind of religion you got. You say, tongue, what kind of a test is your tongue? Well, the tongue is nothing more than an x-ray of the heart. Whatever's in your heart is going to come up. What's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And if a man seems to be religious, but I mean his tongue is out of control, an out-of-control tongue is a sign of an out-of-control heart. And he said, man, I just want to tell you, that man's religion is in vain. Negative. But then he said this positively about religion. Pure religion. Now he said, okay, there's a superficial religion. It's just on the outside. But then there's a supernatural religion. It's pure religion. We call it in our terminology today, old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that. You remember that? Yeah. Pure religion, old-time religion, and undefiled before God and the Father to visit the fatherless and with us. It'll make you have compassion for people. It'll make you love everybody. I'm talking about about the right kind of religion. And then it goes on to say this, it'll make you live right. Thank you, Brother Vic. (laughs) The right kind of religion will cause you to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know, in our day, there's a philosophy, that, an ideology that goes along. So now look, man, if we're going to get along, we'll just have to go along. But I like what old Vance Abner said one time. He said, man, you don't have to dress up like a clown to witness to the circus. And look, we don't have to go along to get along. If we got the right kind of religion, we're going to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That word, un, uh, word unspotted means spilled. And a person's got the right kind of religion will keep, him, keep the world from spilling all over him. Can I have an amen? So we got the word remnant. That's a good Bible word. We got the word religion. That's a good Bible word. But then what about this one? Oh, man, we're going from bad to worse. You Boy, you don't hear a lot about repentance much no more, do you? But it is indeed a great Bible word. It is becoming a word that we use less and less in our culture and in our day. Most people, when they think about the word repentance, they think about a guy that's got on a multicolored wig, pink, blue, yellow, and green, with a sign standing there that says, Repent or turn or burn. And that's their idea when they think about the word repentance. Or, yes, somebody, hey, have you repented? Their response is, Repented of what? What do I need to repent? But you may find it interesting that the, to know that the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached was a sermon on repentance. Look at this, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, very first sermon, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, there it is, repent. You know the first time that Jesus ever sent his disciples out two by two to preach by themselves? You know what Jesus said to preach? Look at this. And they went out and preached, preached that men should repent. You know the first sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. Repent. You know the first sermon that Paul preached on top of Mars Hill in Acts 17 and verse number 30? In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? To repent. Evidently, repentance is something that is very important to God. So what in the world is repentance? I think, I think the word is under, misunderstood. I think it's really misused 
in our day. I think if we understand what repentance is, we've got to understand what repentance is not. Can I say, number one, that repentance involves the conviction of sin, but repentance is not just conviction of sin. It involves conviction, but it's not just conviction. You see, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of people that get convicted, but they don't repent. You ought to stand up here some Sunday mornings, and there's one particular person I've had my eye on a whole lot lately. I'll just be honest with you. There's one particular person I've been preaching to a whole lot recently. And, uh, and I want to see this person get saved. And I've seen them get under conviction. Bad. I've seen them stand and they won't even look at you. I've seen them stand and they shift from one foot to the other. They're convicted, but they haven't repented. You see, you can be convicted and not repent. So conviction is, uh, repentance involves conviction, but it's not just conviction. Can I say number two, repentance involves confession, but it's not just confession. You see, there's a lot of people in our Bible who confess they sinned, but they didn't repent. Pharaoh told Moses a number of times, Hey, Pharaoh, call, uh, hey, hey, Moses, man, call the flies off. I've sinned. Hey, Pharaoh, hey, hey Moses, I've sinned. Call the frogs off. He said that over and over again, but man, he didn't repent. Judas, after he betrayed the Lord, walked back to the temple, threw the pieces of silver down and said, I've sinned against the innocent blood, but he didn't repent. You see, you can be convicted, but not uh, repent. You know, the reason a lot of people want to confess is not because they want to repent, it's because they get caught up in their sin. That's the whole reason a whole lot of people, they're not sorry for what they've done. There's no remorse. There's no regret. They're just sorry they got caught up in it. Now they got to go through this thing to try to make everything right. You see, it's conviction, but it's not just conviction. It's confession, but it's not just confession. And let me say number three, it's contrition, but it's not just contrition. You can be sorry for your sins and still die in your sins and go to hell. An alcoholic may be sorry for the way he treated his wife while he was drunk, but wait a minute, if he goes back to that bottle of alcohol, that ain't repentance. Can I say a man can be sorry for running around on his wife but, and, and cry buckets of tears and beg for her forgiveness, but if he goes back to that sneaking home-wrecking harlot out there, hey, that ain't repentance. A homosexual may be sorry for their homosexual lifestyle, but if they refuse to get out of that lifestyle, that ain't repentance. Amen, preacher. It's contrition, but it's not just contrition. So what in the world does it mean to repent? Well, the word for repentance in, in, the, in the New Testament is the Greek word metanoia, and it literally means a change of mind. But let me tell you, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of manners. I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah for a person who said they repented, but it hadn't made a difference in their life. You know, it's one thing to be broken over your sin. It's another thing to be broken from your sin. Buddy, when you and I repent, and I know it many times, that, that breaking with sin, maybe it doesn't happen. I know people have got to grow in grace. I get it, but I'll tell you, when a man gets convicted, he changes his mind about his sin. He changes his mind about himself, and he changes his mind about the Savior. Repentance. He, he no longer sees sin as something that he desires. He no longer sees himself as a pretty good boy. He no longer sees Jesus as just some far-off distant God. 
He sees his sin for what it is. It is, a, it is a great crime in the sight of a holy God. A holy God is offended greatly by our sin. He sees himself. Man, I'm a sinner. I deserve to die and go to hell. And he sees God as a, as a God that is greatly offended by what he's done. And then he, and then he cast himself on the mercy of Jesus. That's repentance, friend. And we don't see a whole lot of repentance anymore. Can I have an amen? You know, repentance says this. Repentance says to a holy God, I'm a sinner. But you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, you talk to them, they say, oh yeah, I agree with you that I've sinned. So that's not enough. Repentance says I'm a, I'm a great sinner, but it also says I'm sorry for my sin. That's repentance. But it not just says that I, I've sinned and I'm sorry for my sin, but repentance says I'm going to turn from my sin. That's true Repentance, a change of mind. It leads from a change of mind to a change of manners, a change of lifestyle. Buddy, I tell you what, a lot of people want to come down the aisle anymore, and you've heard this said before, but they want to pop their bubble gum and, and run down the aisle and cry a few tears and go back home, cut down from 12 beers a day to 6 beers a day and think somehow everything's all right, I'm going to heaven. That's not repentance. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of living. And then last of all, look at this. So we got the word what? What's the first word? Remnant. The word, the word. And then the last word, the word ransom. The word ransom. And by the way, it's hard, these are words, because there was great words like resurrection, like redemption. I mean, there's all kind of all words. But I chose the, for the last word, the word Ransom, because we've, we've been, we're familiar with that. It's just happened recently. The word ransom is used 16 times in the Bible. And, and in our terminology, the word ransom is, is used to define a sum of money, a price that is paid to get a hostage back. Now, we've just seen that. Colonial pipeline was hacked by the dark side from Russia. Let me say it like this. The colonial pipeline was hacked by the Democrats. The, the pipeline was hacked, whatever. And then that company paid $4 million ransom money to get their system back, their computers back so they could use them again. Now, I've got to count it in my mind, if Donald Trump would have been president, I don't think we'd been paying no ransom for a bunch of stinking communists to come over here and shut our computers down. Do you think that? I don't believe that for a second. And I could be wrong about it, but I just don't think that would happen. But a ransom is paid to get somebody that's being held hostage to get them back. And here's what Jesus said about it. Poof. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and watch this, and to give his life a ransom. Jesus paid the price to get those of us that were being held captive, hostage by our sin and by Satan. Jesus paid the price to get us out of that. Look at this verse. These are good verses anyway. Who will have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, and there it is again, a ransom. You say, preacher, who'd he give himself a ransom for? For all. That assures me of the fact that Jesus wants everybody to be saved. 
He will have all men to be saved. He gave His life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He and He alone paid the price to make it possible for me and you to get out of the captivity of sin and Satan. He paid the price to get us out. I was a hostage, but the ransom was paid. You say, how much did He pay? He paid with His own life. Paid with His precious blood so that you and I could know God in a personal way. You agree with me, those are some great words. The first one is, and that refers to that small group that just still loves God. The second word is religion, a right kind and a wrong kind. The next word is the word repentance. Oh, do we need repentance. And the last word is the word ransom. Great words of our Bible that begin with the letter R. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for...